You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. My last announcement is that today, Julianne is preaching. Uh, If you don't know Julianne... Uh, Julianne has been a Christian for most of her life. She brings a wealth of wisdom and insight and character, um, following Jesus for a long time. If you also don't know, at the table, uh, we have two, currently two deacons at our table, which is an official consecration from our tradition, and Matt and Julianne are both of them, and so if you're interested in deaconship, let me know. Um, But also, she she is a lecturer in chemistry at Chico State, and so uh, she's got a lot of experience, but this is also her first time preaching in front of a big group, and so I'm going to pray for her, and if you would pray with me for her, and then she's going to come up after our bumper video, but let's say a prayer today. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that we could be a, a community that shares leadership, that we could hear from one another's journeys and different perspectives. Would you be with Julianne now? Would your Holy Spirit be encouraging her and strengthening her. But also for us, would our eyes and ears be open as we hear a fresh voice? Would we hear it in a fresh way so that you can speak to us and we can continue on our journey towards you in transformation and wholeness and holiness? And Lord, we will give you thanks and we will give you praise. We say these things in Jesus' name. Good morning. The sound is going to be the weirdest thing for me because when I teach chemistry, I don't use a microphone, so... We came in last night, I was feeling good, and we came in last night, and we put this on, and I heard it, and I was like, oh no, this is not going to be, this is not going to be good, but then I slept a little bit, and and I think it'll be okay. So, um, yeah, so we are continuing our messages, um, the series on being uh, unordinary, and I left the Q&A in, if you have questions, feel free to send them, I don't have them on my phone, but James will have them, and I may be able to answer them, but I also may not be able to answer them. I don't have the education that he does, but he, he talks me up like I have decades, decades of being a Christian, but I just was a little kid as a Christian, too, so some of those decades were like, you know, in youth group and, you know, so. Um, so the, it's the series that we're looking at is The Art of Being an Ordinary, and our verse for um, for this series is don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Um, and you know, I always feel weird ending that verse there, but we want to be transformed. And the message today comes from John chapter four, and we start with the bad news because we want to know why the good news is good news. And this passage is long. Um, I kind of started at chap- uh, it's so chapter four, verse four. This is kind of where I'm starting, but it's going down to 40. And I'm going to talk a little bit at the beginning, then we're going to kind of settle in, listen to some scripture, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. But um, so kind of setting the stage, Jesus is uh, in Judea, which is sort of south-ish, and he's heading north um, to Galilee. And the scripture says, uh, verse 4, that Jesus had to go through Samaria, and um, this story may start to become more familiar as we get through it, but this is sort of a like, I googled and found this picture, and I can't verify the total like accuracy of where some of these things are, but they were all pretty much the same, and this one was the best one. So Judea, he's traveling up to Galilee, and it says he has to go through Samaria. 
um, which actually isn't really true in the sense that all the Jews went around Samaria. And they would add in, there'd be, it'd be, it'd take longer, but they would do it. It's the traditional route. Jews were not going to go through Samaria, but it says here that Jesus had to, and we're going to see why he had to um, as we talk about it. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well at about noon. Um, in between, um, let me see where it's at. I'm looking at my scripture. His disciples will end up going into the city, and it says it kind of in the past tense. So his disciples go into the city to get food for Jesus. Jesus is at the well alone at noon. It's very hot. He needs food, and he needs water. That's what his disciples are thinking. And a woman walks up, and this is a picture I found of Jacob's well, and maybe a Samaritan woman. Um, I wanted to find pictures that maybe weren't just Caucasian paintings, but... um, and, and it's very hot, and she's by herself. And this is going to be a little bit noteworthy. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. The Samaritan woman asked, Why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. And every version of the Bible that I read this in, makes this note. I don't know if every version really says it, but the ones that I looked at makes this note. Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. And you may know that. We've talked about that, I think, before um, here in in church. But this, I think, um, epitomizes our bad news for today. Jews and Samaritans didn't associate associate with each other. There were barriers there that the Jews thought were, they maybe even thought were valid. But I think generally... We as human beings are barrier builders. We um, see other people. We keep some people close, our tribe, our people, our crew, like whatever we want to call them. But there are a lot of people that we keep away for different reasons. Maybe we're afraid of them. Maybe we don't know how to approach them. Maybe we just hate them for some reason. And I was trying to think of a story. And I think this one fits, but it's not, I mean, there's some, it, it redeems a little bit in the end, but <laughs> this, is, this is just bad news, but there's a little bit of good news in this one, and it applies, I think. But So this is me at nine years old. I have a haircut. The haircut was a little bit of a drama in my family because <laughs> my grandma took me to get the haircut without my mom's permission. My grandma thought I looked like Annie because of the hair, wanted an Annie haircut. My mom's like, that was a bad idea. That happened here. Then we move up to Washington State, and so I was in school in Washington State in fourth grade, and I was brand new, and I didn't know the dynamics, and um, it was uh, probably the day before Christmas break, so maybe that was a Friday. I don't know what day. Day before Christmas break, the, the fourth grade class is planning a party, and they were going to watch a movie in like some classroom, and um, I was so excited about it. It's Christmas break. I'm in a new, like, we just moved into a house. Like, it's, it's going to be good, but we just have to make it through this day, and it's just going to be a party. And then I found out I had to finish a project. I had to stay back, and once I finished the project, then I could join the movie. So I stayed back, and there were probably a few others that stayed back, but there was this boy who I had gathered in the months that I had been there that was um, kind of the bullied kid. 
he was tall, he was heavy set, um, he kind of smelled, he, you know, he was kind of hunched over, just like a little bit dirty, um, and the kids didn't really include him. He may have had a couple friends, I don't really remember, but he generally was made fun of, and he was there too. And I sort of, I didn't have a reason to not like him, but I also didn't want to make waves, and I wasn't an outgoing person, and I still am not really an outgoing person. But um, he was there, and we were probably at the same table, and we were talking, and he ended up, and so that's kind of the barrier part of it. He ended up somehow in conversation um, talking about abuse that he was suffering at home, um, physical abuse, it wasn't sexual abuse, but it was physical abuse, and all of a sudden, like everything clicked in my head of like why, why he was the way he was. And the kids that were ostracizing him or hurting, you know, didn't know what was going on and he wasn't able to fully show up and break any barriers himself with the students. He's just trying to survive. And, um, and those barriers in that moment I felt like weren't justified, you know? They didn't need to be there. And uh, that stuck with me. It stuck with me now. I didn't tell anybody. I feel guilty now that I didn't tell anybody about it. But um, he, uh, yeah, it just stuck. Like I just, I went and watched the movie and all I could think about was this kid. So I think there are reasons, and I think there are a number of reasons, and we see some of them in this passage, why we choose not to associate with someone I can open this up if anybody wants to shout something out, but I also have a list, so <laughs> just in case. Um, but are there some reasons that you can think of that generally maybe something you share, maybe something you've observed, why, why somebody may choose not to associate with someone else? Cleanliness. Cleanliness, yeah, definitely. Intimidation. Intimidation. Yeah, you're intimidated to, yeah. Different politics, absolutely. Status, yeah. Lifestyle, absolutely. You guys are picking out some, most of my things. Race, absolutely. Okay, this is perfect. Okay, so almost all, like those are all pretty much in my list. Um, I picked out gender just because it's going to be one that contributes to our passage today. I think um, gender, religion, religious beliefs may keep us from somebody. Morality, I think somebody said something similar to that. We think they're wrong, we think they're immoral, we think they're a bad influence, we better stay away from them. Nationality or politics might go with this picture too. Um, race or skin color. Um, socioeconomic status, so I think that's what. Mark was saying, they're poor, I'm not, we don't really mix. I was thinking ability and different abilities. Um, I have an adopted brother who has cerebral palsy and we, uh, I, my eyes were open to that a little bit. And I think mental health status. Um, I know many people who have different abilities in terms of mental health and different struggles and that can make them difficult to interact with or to know what to do with. And then the last thing I thought was like whether you're a cat person or a dog person. <laughs> I've learned that a lot of people in our small group are cat people. 
and I don't know how I feel about that. Because <laughs> I'm a dog person, and I don't understand cats. I don't understand cats. But I'm open to learning. I'm also, in my defense, I'm also a little bit allergic to them, so there's a little bit. But, okay. So, uh, our passage. I have this building in. Okay. We have a Samaritan woman who approached Jesus, and this is noteworthy. This is why I'm stopping here. And she even says, why are you a Jewish man talking to me, a Samaritan woman? And I think there's, there's a few things here that make it that the Jews would read this or people of the time would read this and be like, what is going on? Um, so first of all, she's a woman, and men and women, especially if they're alone, wouldn't really interact. Women were much lower than men. Um, but also, oh, she's a Samaritan, and I think this is incredibly um, important for this because Samaritans in general were half-breeds. They were a race, and I was even looking at like 23andMe or something. There was a, there's a study like looking at the Samaritan bloodline and genetics because they're still a race of people that live in the Middle East. Um, and it said their paternal DNA between Jews and Samaritans are very similar, but the maternal DNA is different. And so what they think happened, and I was talking to James about this too, so it's not all my research, but um, some Jews were taken to captivity and some were left behind. And the ones left behind were generally the ones less desirable to be taken. And to survive, they had to intermarry with Assyrians, I don't know who that group of people were, intermarry with the people who were there. Um, but that intermarriage made kind of an unclean religion, like it, it mixed. And there's a lot in the Old Testament about not taking other people's religions, not taking other people's idols, not taking other people's gods as your own, and the religion got mixed, and that makes it unclean. And then I think, oops, did I go backwards? Am I holding it upside down? Okay. A woman, a Samaritan. And there's questionable morality. We're not really sure if, I think, like, we would read this and see, and that we're going to come up on it. Um, there may be some things that cause us to think she's been immoral, but also it may just be her circumstances and what she's been, just the life that she's, had to live of, you know, no choice of her own, sort of. So um, we'll come to that. But that may be something playing a part. And we know that she is a Samaritan woman, so Jews wouldn't really be interacting with her. But she's also there at noon, which is the hottest part of the day. And we hear no. You don't really want to do your outdoor chores at the hottest part of the day. She's going to the well to get water alone. So she's not with any other women that traditionally you would go together to do because it's commonly thought, right, that women like to do everything together and go to the bathroom together and go get water together. And, you know, they would be together and it would be community. Um, so she's alone and it's very hot outside. And then I think we're going to get into some of our good news. And this is going to be longish passage, um, but it's a conversation between them. And so I have it set up so that we see what Jesus says and then we see what the woman says. So we're going to go through this. You can... Pull out your Bibles if you want. You can watch, read it up here. You can close your eyes and listen. But this is the word of the Lord, and I hope that 
something stands out to you. So Jesus responded to her. She said, why do you ask water from me? Jesus responds, if you recognize God's gift and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. She just thinks he's a Jewish man. You're not greater than Jacob. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right to say that you do not have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man you are with now isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, sir, he's just told her everything, right? I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it's necessary to worship in Jerusalem. She's kind of switched it a little bit, right? Like, okay, I've, I've had a lot of husbands, but where should I worship, though? <laughs> Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit, and it's necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll teach everything to us. So we'll wait till he comes to figure this out. Jesus said to her, I am the one, I am, the one who speaks with you. Just then, Jesus' disciples arrived from town trying to get food and were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. So now it's Jesus left with his disciples. She's going into the city and she says, come see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Could this man be the Christ? She approaches her community and invites them out. And they left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. They're on their way back. They're traveling. In the meantime, Jesus is with his disciples. And the disciples spoke to him saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus said to them, I have a food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples asked each other, has someone brought him food? <laughs> someone brought it, like somebody else brought the food you, I don't know about? Like, Jesus said to them, I am fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. Don't you have a saying, four more months, and then it's time for harvest. Look, I tell you, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe for the harvest. Those who harvest are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that those who sow and those who harvest can celebrate together. This is a true saying that one sows and another harvests. I have sent you to harvest what you didn't work hard for, 
Others worked hard, and you will share in their hard work. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified, he's told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is truly the savior of the world. That's the end of our passage. Head, heart, hands. There's a lot there. And we're going to kind of focus it to our sermon series. And I'm going to stick with head, heart, hands. You know how we preach here at the table. (laughs) What does God want us to know from this passage to be unordinary? We're talking about barriers. We are barrier builders. I think here we're going to see that Jesus is a barrier breaker. He's crossing that boundary This is just a continuation. This isn't the main head point, but this is kind of. Jesus is offering food and water that lead to eternal life, but here we see he's offering it to anyone, to any who will believe, even this woman, even the Samaritans, whoever drinks from the water, anyone who drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. I think what he says to the disciples shows us a little bit as well. Those who harvest, any who are willing to harvest, who are able to harvest, are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. And then, of course, like when I was thinking about like, oh, it's offered to anybody, I thought of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. It's very important, and there are more passages that I could pick that say how important it is to offer this living water to anyone who will take it. You are all God's children, anybody who takes it. You are all God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. So I think transformation looks like reconciliation to God, which we sort of saw last week, killing our idols, It's also reconciliation to each other. Jesus is a barrier breaker. I was looking for a video to illustrate this because illustrations are great. And it took me a while. I got, like, I was thinking different things. I was like, I can't, Matt threw out Moneyball, which I thought I could do, but it's baseball and everybody would know that came from him. Like, so, (laughs) he can do it in his his sermon if he doesn't. Um, And then I thought, like, where is their good news? And then it's offered to the world. This might be a little bit spoilers. You can leave the room if you... This is the very end of this movie. But I think it's perfect. I think it'll start here in a second. My name is King T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. I am the sovereign ruler of the nation of Wakanda. And for the first time in our history... We will be sharing our knowledge and resources with the outside world. Wakanda will no longer watch from the shadows. We cannot. We must not. We will work to be an example of how we as brothers and sisters on this earth should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusions of division threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, 
The wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. With all due respect, King T'Challa, what can a nation of farmers have to offer the rest of the world? It's perfect. He says the word barriers in it. Like, it's perfect. It's perfect. I watched it, and I was like, that's it. My sermon's done. It's done. Okay. Um, the other person I thought of, and you may know him um, or know of him, is Rich Mullins. He was a, cr- a Christian, contemporary Christian musician, um, and he died in the 90s. And he was, uh, he was resistant to the general evangelical kind of machine that, um, whoa, it just, mine just white, okay, we're good. Um, And it bothered him that he felt like there was a white evangelical Christianity and there was the poor and everybody else and it was hard for them to connect. or, or be relevant. It was hard for the church to be relevant to those people. Um, and uh, he ended up having his estate, and he would take minimum wage. And he uh, said something. He ended up near the end of his uh, the end of his life, thinking, "I don't know what what this structure has to do for me, but I'm going to go and find people who who I think are." Um, can teach me something, can teach me something about Jesus. And he moved to um, a Navajo uh, reservation in New Mexico. And he said, this is what I've come to think, that if I want to identify fully with Jesus Christ, who I claim to be my Savior and my Lord, the best way I can do that is by identifying with the poor. Christianity is not about building an absolutely secure little niche in the world where you can live with your little wife and your perfect children in a beautiful home where you have no gays or minority groups anywhere near you. Christianity is about learning to love like Jesus loved, and Jesus loved the poor, and Jesus loved the brokenhearted. And he, he was in a world where he would play Christian music concerts, and he would play Christian colleges, and that's an easy place to want to build your perfect life. You go, to, you go to a Christian college and you find your husband and you go to church and you find friends that are just like you. And I, if Jesus was calling me to that, I would be like, yeah, like that's, a, I mean, like that's the security, right? That's a little bit feel safe. And there's a deep part of me that wants to feel safe. But that's not who Jesus was. And I, and I like this because it's challenging to me and I think it's honest and I think it's the truth. So breaking the pattern of the world and becoming an ordinary means that we also need to become barrier breakers. That's kind of my longest, the head point's the longest point. Becoming barrier breakers ourselves. What does God want us to feel in this passage? And this one took me a little bit, I think, um, a lot of times we read this, this is the woman at the well passage, and we read it from the perspective of Jesus or the woman. And I also wanted to read it from the perspective of the disciples And I think in all the cases, God wants us to feel nourished. He's offering 
food, living food and living water to both his disciples and his, uh, and this woman that he's just met. I looked up the definition for nourished and it says provided with the food or other substances necessary for growth, for health, and for good condition. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to offer to these human beings, right, who are um, part spiritual and who need to know that they need eternal life. Whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. A spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. Those who harvest are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. Some food image that will speak to them in terms of sustenance. And it's the middle of the day. They're looking for food and water. Everybody who's coming to this well. Jesus in John uh, chapter 6 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I think... For the woman, he's offering something that she doesn't know about yet. But I think for the disciples, he's saying there's work to do, there's harvest to do, and you need to gather this harvest, and you're going to consume some of it, but you're also going to be working. And I think if God wants us to be barrier breakers, we've kind of been presented for the first time with the living water. Um, we also need to be nourished for the work. We need to be present, and we need to be gathering fruit for eternal life. And this made me think nourishment makes me think of nourishment. So I think nutrition, I don't think this is too controversial, right? Nutrition affects performance. And you probably, you can't read this, but this is from the uh, New York Times. And it's an opinion piece, but it talks about some studies. And it says that poor nutrition is a leading cause of poor health and spending. And it says poor eating contributes to disparities in well-being, especially among children. Vicious cycles of bad health, lost productivity, increased health costs, and poverty Poor nutrition and obesity are a major threat to military readiness. He talks about military readiness. And that a lot of the reason that people aren't ready for, to be able to be brought into the military is because of bad health. Um, whatever work, doesn't have to be military work. We need to be um, well nourished. And I think the pattern we see with that is that it's hard for us to nourish ourselves properly anyway with regular food. But it's also hard for us to nourish ourselves with what the world offers in terms of what we think will give us life and purpose and uh, calling. And I think the pattern of the world is to consume what doesn't nourish. And breaking the pattern of the world means consuming what will nourish us to eternal life, knowing what that is, the food and water that Jesus is offering, and then offering that to other people as well which gets us into do. What does God want us to do? And I was talking with James about this, and he says, look for a command in the passage. Um, that's obviously something that we could think about doing. And I think what he says to the disciples, because they're the ones I'm kind of looking at, they're the ones with this barrier between them and the Samaritans, is to open our eyes and to notice. Open our eyes and notice he says to the disciples, look, I tell you, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe for the harvest. And I was talking with James. This isn't, this isn't my 
bomb to draw. Like, this isn't, but it's pretty good. So I'm going <laughs> to use it. And I should have just used it as my own. But this is a little bit of, like, James is a total nerd, but through his, <laughs> through me, is that ripe in this passage, and I did look it up to verify it, um, because I'm analytical that way. And ripe in the Greek, in this passage, is the word leukai. Um, Luke is kind of a familiar root for like white, like leukemia or leukocytes, or Ryan could probably say more, but <laughs> mm -hmm, white blood cells. Um, and what he's saying is, on one hand, white uh, tips appear on the wheat when it's ready to be harvested. If you look at a field, it's sort of yellowish, but it's, it's whiter than yellow, I think. And so he's talking about this, but we've said that he's talking to the disciples and the Samaritans are coming out from their town to meet with Jesus. And the traditional Samaritan outfit is white. So he's saying this in terms of harvest, but also there are many Samaritans coming from their town dressed in white, and as soon as he said that, I got chills. Like, <laughs> Jesus is just, like, right? He does just right what to say. And this is true. This is a, like, contemporary picture. They still wear this, um, and they have their little red hats, some of them. I don't know all of it. It might be religious um, outfits, I think. But um, the fields are white for harvest. And he's trying to open their eyes, open your eyes and see that we have this community we've been going around that is ready to hear the gospel. I just talked to one woman, and she's ready to go back and share this living water with everybody, and they're willing to come out and hear it. Um, this is Pastor D.T. Niles. He's passed away in the, in the 70s. He was a pastor in Sri Lanka, um, a Methodist church pastor. And um, he has a definition for evangelism that uh, stuck with me and I think is perfect for this passage. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And I think that's what this woman did. She is desperate. She's had five husbands. They've all divorced her. And she's living with a man probably just to survive. She's a beggar. In, even in her community. And she's been able to go back and tell, maybe people didn't know they were beggars, but tell people where to find eternal life. And I think Jesus invites us to break the pattern of the human world and become unordinary by reaching past our fear or prejudice to share the living water that we've received with those who are dying of spiritual thirst and starvation. And that concludes my sermon <laughs> today. Um, if you have questions, you can email them or text them to the number. James will get them. If there's time, we can talk about them. But I also know that we're, we're wrapping up here. Um, so in conclusion, I think the head, our head point, Jesus is a barrier breaker, and he wants us to be also. God wants us to feel nourished by the food and water that he offers 
And I think some of us are kind of in this point. I know in my family and my friends, a lot of us are feeling malnourished, um, maybe spiritually. And if that's a point you need to stop at and get re-nourished, I think that's good and that's okay. And then we can move into working, but I wanted to acknowledge that. I think it's a very difficult time in our community and we feel empty a lot. Um, so if you're feeling that way, I would encourage just go back and, and let's find where we can get that nourishment. And if you are feeling relatively nourished, um, I think God wants us to open our eyes and notice the people on the margins who are thirsty and share the living water with them. And our spiritual practice of the week, James has water bottles that uh, were for a different purpose, but were brought in today. Um, give a water bottle to somebody that you don't know. Offer water to a stranger. Could be someone on the street. doesn't have to be someone on the street. Just to somebody that you don't know. Let us pray. Father, thank you for bringing us here today and for this passage of scripture and the depth that it brings and the message that it brings of living water. I pray that you would um, use it uh, in our lives and, and speak to us where we need to be spoken to. I pray that um, everyone would walk out with something new from you, something fresh, um, and encouragement uh, to go into the week a little bit more nourished and a little bit more of a barrier breaker. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.